Like a lot of Airbnb hosts, especially back in the day, Evelyn Badia rented out her home to make some extra cash. And her story is that she got laid off from a job. She wanted to make some extra money. This was pretty early in the Airbnb days. That's Heather Murphy. She writes about business and tech for Slate. Heather talked to Evelyn for a story she recently wrote about Airbnb in New York City. And she realized, ah, she could rent out part of her home. She rented out part of her home. That's a completely separate unit for people. And then she also rented out her actual unit. And she did this for many years. She credits it for helping her pay her mortgage and helping her kind of shift even professions as this been sort of this Airbnb expert. And then, you know, then she got wind that things were really going to shift. And it didn't feel worth it to her at that point to continue to stay in New York City. For a long time, Airbnb was great for Evelyn. And then the hammer fell. Earlier this month, a new law went into effect in New York City that changed the way short-term rentals work. Under the new rules, short-term rentals, like the ones on Airbnb or VRBO, are only legal if someone stays in your home for more than 30 days, or if you're there when they're there. Hardly anyone's dream Airbnb experience. The new law has been a big disruption to an industry more accustomed to doing the disrupting itself. She basically has stopped Airbnb being her home in Brooklyn because of these new laws or this new law that went into effect? Yes. It was really only now that it became clear, okay, this is real, this is happening, and this is going to affect her in a concrete way. And she decided to sell her home in Park Slope and use that money to um, put into a place in Puerto Rico and a place in Georgia. And that's what she decided to do. So for Evelyn, and probably a lot of Evelyn's in New York City, this new law going into effect has really been like like a bomb in the cupcake. I, I don't know what that metaphor means, but um, it's really shaken things up for people. I've never thought about Airbnb as a cupcake. It is very one very high design, messy, <laughs> complicated, um, terrible, but occasionally great for some people, um, cupcake for a lot of people. And it, it really was a bomb. You're right, um, in the sense that What's really different, I mean, the law is different, but really what's different is the way this is enforced. Advocates of the law say this is about solving the city's housing issues, freeing up homes for locals, and turning short-term rentals into long-term places for people to live. But New York housing is a complex beast, and affordability and supply have been problems for decades. So today on the show, can you put a genie like Airbnb back in the bottle? Should you? I'm Emily Peck, in for Lizzie O'Leary. You're listening to What Next TBD, a show about tech, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Before this new law took effect, Airbnb in New York was kind of a free-for-all. Yes, there were some regulations on the books, but they weren't consistently enforced or understood. The new law changed all that. In her piece for Slate, Heather cites some striking numbers. In August, a month before the new law, called Local Law 18, took effect, there were 22,000 short-term listings on Airbnb in the city. After, there were fewer than 7,000. That's according to Inside Airbnb, a housing advocacy group. And that's just on Airbnb. But this law is bigger than one company. Actually, the new rules don't even use the word Airbnb anywhere in it. 
But what we're talking about here is Airbnb and VRBO uh, heavily because those are the biggest platforms in this space. So if you are going to have a short-term rental, meaning something that's longer than less than 30 days, you need to go get registered with the, the mayor's office of special enforcement. And it, once you get registered, you can then list it on those platforms if you meet a bunch of requirements that enable you to get listed. The early numbers show that a lot of applications to get registered have been rejected. And one of the core things that you will have to do if you do that is you will have to be present. Some people like refer to it as a roommate. You have to be that person's roommate. The other thing about that that is significant is for getting registered, you have to agree that in your home that you are hosting or roommating now, you can only have up to two people. So you can't have a family of three. Wow. You got to have two people in your home. And no matter how many extra bedrooms you have, that is a rule. What the new rule also says is that if you're over 30 days, you don't have to get registered. There are some exceptions. There's this one category of housing that's exempt from a lot of these rules, but it doesn't apply to very many units in New York City. And where did all these rules come from? I, I feel like just from the outside, it's been like 10 years of New York City saying they were regulating uh, Airbnbs and short-term rentals. And then all of a sudden this happened like why now? I mean, it's actually been even longer than that. You know, I was just talking to uh, Murray Cox of Inside Airbnb, who's one of the affordable housing advocates and data analysts who's played a huge role in how people perceive Airbnb and how rules are shaped and made and, um, you know, really voiced a lot of concerns about it over the years. So he actually pointed me back to a rule in 2010 that had some restrictions that are not all that different from what we see now. But what was true is that over the years, there were different rules both on the city level and on the state level that attempted in different ways to control this beast that was growing and growing and expanding and changing the city in all kinds of different ways. Often, Airbnb would push back on them. Sometimes Airbnb sued and even won to, to change the way those rules played out. Sometimes the rules themselves just weren't that enforceable what happened is that these frustrations continued to simmer. There'd always been some of these, but there were some real bad incidents where with noise complaints and parties and people getting hurt even and things being misused and big investors sweeping in and buying up tons of places for Airbnb and then other people sweeping in just to rent out a bunch of places just to re-rent them on Airbnb. Simultaneously, you have You've always had housing challenges in New York City, but things were really tense around housing costs. And, you know, it was just kind of this elephant in the room. That tension translated into determination. Finally, after so many years, advocates actually moved the ball. And Airbnb had a tough time blocking it. Before the pandemic, there was a, a draft of a potential law that was circulating and there was a lot of city council members who really wanted to see this happen, along with some affordable housing advocates that really wanted to see this happen. And they pushed it forward. This was under the de Blasio administration. He actually never signed it directly, but neither did he reject it. So it moved forward. So in January 2022, local law 18 passed, but you had a lot of people saying, is this really going to happen? Because on other occasions, something passed, but then Airbnb would sue. And so it wouldn't be implemented in the way that it seemed it might be. Um, but Airbnb did sue and they lost. And then a few weeks ago, 
you know, Airbnb sent some some memos out to people. I think the word was getting out to people, people on their social media groups getting out to people. And suddenly a bunch of people dropped off the apps and and more people than that um, also just switched their listings to over 30 days. Airbnb was founded back in 2008. And for a time, most folks weren't looking at it as a threat to the city's housing market. It was just this budget travel thing that let you rent out a room in your house or even the couch in your living room. Soon enough, though, it got fancy. Bigger players got involved, scooping up homes for the sole purpose of renting them out short-term. Homeowners who would have leased apartments long-term instead did Airbnb and made more money. Critics said the site was making New York's already expensive housing market even pricier. The Airbnb of today is very different from the one it was when Heather was a host almost 10 years ago. And I had about 15 guests over time. Um, between 2013 and 2016, you know, the Airbnb was very different back then. It was it was pretty new. Now, like context for me, like I grew up way pre Airbnb days, living in a home where my mom always rented out a room in our house my entire life. So it was kind of like my mom was an Airbnb host pre Airbnb. Like that was just a way you made money was okay. you rented out a room in your house. So I grew up with that model, being exposed to that model throughout my entire life. And so when Airbnb came around. To me, it was kind of an extension of what I'd grown up with, of what we did in my house. But I didn't happen to have a big enough house to rent out just a room. So I really used it the way some people used it in those early days, which was I needed I was going on a vacation to go visit some family in another country. And, my, you know, um, we would use it to, like, cover the cost of that vacation. You know, that that was our aspiration for it. And I was no real estate mogul buying up places to turn them into (laughs) Airbnbs. This is like three days. I'll take a few hundred dollars. If we could maybe zoom out and flash back to how Airbnb really has changed over the years and how the city has changed in response to its growing popularity, you know, from like a traveler's perspective, Airbnb in New York City is amazing because most of the hotels, you know, are in Midtown or in Manhattan in more touristy areas. So I feel like that was kind of a boon at first, but like, as you've been saying, the response, it's not just, you know, homeowners that are doing Airbnbs. There are like these big landlords, whoever are renting out, buying property just to Airbnb them out. Like it's having a real effect or is it on the real estate market in New York City, which as we all know, is already kind of a nightmare and too expensive and only getting worse. So like, can you talk about kind of like that evolution and how Airbnb affected the city over time? It is definitely significant. It's hard to, you know, parse out some of the dynamics in the way that I think we all crave. Like now that we're going to remove Airbnb, the housing prices will ha- do this. But I think what happened was, you know, they they popped up at first. They were probably not that many of them or they were people in situations like I was early on a not that great apartment in, in an industrial part of Williamsburg, renting it out for like a hundred bucks a night, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't even own my place. But gradually over time, you had more and more people figuring out how to make a real living off of this. Um, Some of them were like Evelyn Badia, but other ones were investors going in and buying up all kinds of apartments, buying up buildings with the eye on Airbnb. You had people seeing, oh, Airbnb is is pretty much guaranteed. I can make a lot of money on Airbnb. Um, Why would I rent to long-term renters? Overall, you know, something that I was kind of struck by and talking to some people is the reality is like as the total number of housing units in New York City, it's, you know, it's still um, 
maybe a smaller percentage than it it felt like it was. But just because it's New York City is vast doesn't mean that suddenly having a ton of Airbnb rentals in a given community doesn't affect that community. Yeah, I I wrote a piece a few years ago about a block in New Orleans that was sort of taken over by these Airbnbs. There was all these like really big houses. So they would get rented out for like bachelorette parties or even like corporate retreats. And I spoke to this one family who'd lived on the block for, you know, like, I don't know, 15 years, something like that. And they were like, we have no neighbors anymore. We just have bachelorette parties. Like one morning they told me they like woke up and there was a giant penis balloon hanging off the house across the street. And so, you know, they have to explain to their like five-year-old daughter, like what's, what's, what's going on over there? You know, what is that balloon or whatever? And you know, the loud parties and the people with rolling suitcases coming down the street all the time. It's like, I feel like there's real consequences for sort of the fabric of a city because of this service. But I don't know. If the aim of the law was to to deal with that or the aim of the law was housing affordability, like why, like what was the aim? What are they hoping to accomplish? I think housing was a big driver. I think Marie Cox, who is one of the people who is involved in drafting a version of the law and who's tracked Airbnb extensively over the years, something he said to me is like, you know, his opinion is Airbnb didn't disrupt hotels. Airbnb disrupted housing. And people Mm. always focus on it disrupting hotels that disrupted housing. Um, So but from his vantage point, it's really about freeing up housing stock and that's why he's very keen on no exceptions. You know, he has a pretty strict stance. Like I even kind of described a version of what I described that I used to do when I was Airbnb and he doesn't believe in that. You know, he he really is a no Airbnb, like housing is is where you live. And if you're not living there, then it should go on the rental market so somebody can rent it who wants to live there. And so that is a real aim. But even he felt that the idea that this is going to bring down the prices in the immediate future or something, you know, that's, that's, it's easy to want to crave that, but that's probably not going to happen. It may not happen, but he feels that even if that doesn't happen, it doesn't mean it failed. So I think there are a lot of people who feel like freeing up housing, however much it is, if it's, you know, 3,000 units, 10,000 units, whatever it is, we need more housing that people can rent and we need to incentivize landlords to rent out to longer term tenants. After the break, it's not just New York. How are other cities cracking down on Airbnb and short-term rentals? What are other cities doing? Is is New York City's the strictest kind of short-term rental legislation in the country? Can you give us a spin through the United States, Heather? So there's really a vast array. Sometimes it's even part of a city, right? Like Santa Monica, which is part of LA, mm-hmm. is so strict. It has long been one of the strictest with Airbnbs. And there's been some push to try to to change that. But by and large, in Santa Monica, you have to live on the property um, that has been in place for a really long time. San Francisco says it, you can only rent it up to 90 days a year and you mm-hmm. have to be a full-time resident. But again, that investigation in 2019 found that maybe even half of the people getting those permits um, lied on their application. So 
London also makes it up to 90 days a year. You can do Airbnbs. Um, Miami, for example, has regulations that require hosts to keep a registry of their names and their dates and and a bunch of things like that. And there's been a lot of battles over that and how it should work. Do you think these rules will have like spillover effects into other industries? You mentioned hotels. I mean, is this this is in New York, at least good for hotels, right? Yes, it would seem to be good for hotels. Um, there's going to be people who are going to rent hotels and who would have previously rented Airbnbs. You know, there certainly will be beneficiaries of that. It could be good. You know, who knows who in the hotel market exactly it'll be good for. Maybe for good for smaller hotels. Um, maybe there will be opportunities to build more boutique hotels in some of these outer boroughs that don't have them. There are some other businesses that have popped up in the past few years that try to take advantage of this remote work, longer stay contingent and have more kitchens and work setups and things like that. So, you know, there will probably be some shifts to try to fill some of the gaps here because a lot of people who rent on Airbnb, they do want kitchens or they do want multiple bedrooms. And some of those things are, unless you have tons and tons and tons of money, are still not that easy to find in hotels in New York City. What does this mean for travelers? Like I was saying before, Airbnb really opened things up for people and got them out into interesting places. And one of the pieces I was reading to prep for the show, you know, talked about how if you're visiting friends or family in New York City, there's it's really like the most affordable, convenient kind of option for you. So what happens to all these travelers? Are they kind of like shut out now or what are they going to do? So if they don't want to have a roommate, which is totally uh, understandable, and if they don't want to stay for 30 days or pay to stay for 30 days, um, you know, they will probably give a closer look to the hotels that exist and some of the the things that are licensed as hotels. There are places that function like hotels, some of which have kind of apartments, but they're essentially licensed like hotels. So they'll probably be giving a closer look to options they wouldn't have before. I think, though, there's going to be a huge expansion of endeavors like Listings Project, for example. Listings Project, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Mm -mm. It is a classified listserv for sublets and lease takeovers in creative hubs throughout the country, really heavily based in New York City and California. I've used it in the past um, to find a sublet. I've used it actually to rent out my place in the past. And it it has kind of a lot of the high design Airbnb-esque places on it, but without being on Airbnb. Now, it's a lot more complicated um, because it's not like you can just put in any dates you want and then you end up on something. You have to scan in. Oh, my parents are coming to town for these six days. Would this work? But I think that there's going to be a lot of things like that, classified listservs, Facebook groups, email listservs, things like that, where people are going to try to sublet and find things because subletting the desire to to find a sublet and is not going to go away. Yeah. Is this law in New York, are these laws, are they existential threats to Airbnb's business? Is Airbnb going away because of this stuff or is it just scaling back? What do you think? I don't think Airbnb is going to be gone anytime (laughs) soon. I think that they are such a powerful force the world over. They have, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. But this is no small thing for Airbnb. And that is why Airbnb fought so hard for so many years. I am sure Airbnb will find ways to continue to fight this or to find little ways to create pockets where 
they can fight this. Um, one of the one of the fights right now that is coming from an organization called Roar is to try to get single and double family homes uh, an exemption for aspects of this. And and so I'm sure Airbnb will continue to support fights for exemptions. But if this stays in the way it stays, maybe they'll be more invested in all the other parts of New York that haven't cracked down. I mean, Airbnb is not going away. But this definitely makes them less significant and less powerful in, in New York City, which is no small thing. Thanks for coming on the show, Heather. Thank you. So nice talking to you. Heather Murphy is a writer for Slate. And that's it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Patrick Fort and Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong-Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. If you're a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. We'll be back Saturday with another episode. I'm Emily Peck. You can catch me every week over at Slate Money. And thanks for listening.